it's not lost on me um, that this morning uh, we have a lot of young men here that are friends. We have a lot of young men that have grown up together. Um, we also have a lot of young men who like to work out. Um, and so I'm just thinking about that this morning. And I may not be the guy to be able to associate with those who like to work out. Um, I say that it's because I don't want to distract. Um, but that's just me being lazy. I, it's not, that's not what it is. But I was thinking about all of you guys that like to work out. And I was thinking about, man, today we're talking about the resurrection. Like we like to show off, maybe not show off, but we like to acknowledge that as we work out, we get bigger, we get stronger, right? There's a power that we have. And today I'm just thinking like, what better message on the power of God as he flexes his muscles for us who who can relate to some of that, for you guys who can relate to some of that, to be able to be like, man, God is strong. He's powerful. All of the the things that that Scripture says aren't just words. He's flexed His muscles by raising His Son from the dead. And in in raising Jesus from the dead, He's proven that all the promises of God are yes and amen. That they're true. So we get to see the God of the universe flex His muscles today in Scripture. We get to see that that he He does something that none of us can do. He does something that only God, the Creator, can do. He takes Jesus from life, from death to life. And so we celebrate that today because we also know that if that's true, then then the promises that Jesus gave to his disciples that he would be with them is still true today for us. The God of the universe is with us today. Now, you've got to get to to the follow-on book and Acts where Jesus ascends into heaven, but he gives us his spirit which is even better than having this Jesus that, that God raised from the dead with us today, according to Scripture. So today we have the power of the Spirit, where God continues to flex His muscles to take us from death to life. And so I pray that today we would have eyes to see that, that our hearts would be transformed, that we would say, man, that's the God that I want to serve and follow. That's the God who is faithful. That's a God... who's given everything for me, including his one and only son, and he raised him from the dead, that we might have life, and life abundantly today. Will you pray with me? God, we um, just acknowledge that everything good that we have is you. Every good word, every good song that we would sing is a song about you, for you. And so, Lord, I just acknowledge this morning our need for you. And at the same time, we acknowledge that you have met that need. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that in the power of the resurrection this morning. God, that not only has, did you die so that our sin would be paid for, but in newness of life, in your resurrection power, you have given us your your righteousness to walk in. You have proven your victory over death for you and for us who are in you. And so, Lord, today we pray that we would see that, that we would rejoice in that truth, that it would move us to repentance of ways that we've tried to do it in and of our own strength, and we'd rest in the strength of Christ today. 
the strength of a God who raised Christ from the dead. Lord, I pray that as this message goes out throughout the world today, the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, that people would hear and see for the very first time their lives would be changed, Lord, and that people hearing for many, many times their lives would be equally changed today. Lord, lead us all to repentance and life today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. But we've got to do some work. We've got to just do some of the groundwork because some of us are jumping in to Mark right here at the very end. And so maybe we don't know what's been going on. But last week we talked about Jesus being on the cross. We talked about him being forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. In that moment on the cross when he says that, that it's finished, the veil that separated holy God from unholy man is ripped in two. And that's a powerful work that we get to rest in today, that we have access to God. That we don't have to go through a high priest anymore, but we have direct access to a holy father because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Because those who are in Christ on their record is no longer what you've done, but it's what Jesus has done. And that's powerful. And that has a, a ton of meaning for us today. And so, so that's where we were. And then, then Joseph of Arimathea went and, and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he buries him in a tomb. And that was at great cost to himself because he loved Jesus. But we also saw these three women. And if you, you look, these women in verse 40, chapter 15, verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. And then if you go to verse 47, so, we, so there we have them at the crucifixion. While every, most everyone else had fled, these women are called out by Mark as being present when Jesus dies. And then, then in verse 47, these same women, and we talked about how countercultural that was at the time. Because in this patriarchal society, women were not valued equally to what men were. But Mark, even in calling them out, is, is bringing that kingdom of God that we've seen where, where he just turns everything upside down. Jesus goes to the outsiders and calls them insiders. Like that's the work that he's continuing to do. And so we looked at that, but, but in verse 47 it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Jesus is dead. He's laying in the tomb. They saw where he was laid. And so they go and they pick up the story. When the Sabbath was passed, listen, as devout Jews, they would not do anything on the Sabbath. That was, a, that was the command of God to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And so that's what they're doing. Even as they're mourning, even as they're crying out to God, even as they're in their distress that their best friend has died and given his life, and they're distraught, they remember to honor the Sabbath. So that as soon as the Sabbath is over, these same women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So we've got this setting, and we're looking at the people who are here. And it's these three women. And, and it looks like they're doing this good thing, and they are. Like, it's, it's a beautiful offering, it's a beautiful um, sentimental moment that they would go and anoint Jesus, but if they're anointing Jesus, it's because he's dead. 
And if these women have been around at all, they would have heard the promises of Jesus, that he was going to Jerusalem. Why? He was going to Jerusalem to die for their sins. He's going to Jerusalem to lay down his life as a ransom for many. But that wasn't the end of the story. He said, also, in three days I will rise again. Well, if you do the math, Friday was day one. That's when he's dead. He dies on the cross. The Sabbath is a Saturday. That's day two. Day three is Sunday. And yet they're taking spices to anoint a dead body, right? To preserve the smell, to try to uh, take care of him because that was the practice in that culture. And so they're, they're walking in something, but really they're walking in unbelief because if they really believed that Jesus was going to be alive when they got to the tomb, they wouldn't need the spices. They wouldn't need the anointing oil. So they're, they're going and they, they don't remember and they don't believe. Well, what about those who aren't present? Well, Mark doesn't tell us what the disciples are doing, but we know that, that the last we saw of them, they were scattering, they were abandoning, they were denying. The, there was sorrow in Peter's heart because he recognized that he had denied his Christ, but they're not here going to the tomb. And so they're struggling with this unbelief. And so today, I, I just want us to see like God in his kindness and in his flexing his muscles in the, in the resurrection. He's taking people from unbelief to belief. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus. Is that it would move us from unbelief to belief. And there's some of us here today that say, man, praise God, he did that in my life. Because I was running down a road that was just my own doing And he showed me and he did a work in my heart that moved me from unbelief to belief, from death to life. And so I think we're seeing that this morning. So then very clearly on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb in verse 2. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Again, like this idea of they're, they're, they're moving, right? They're going to Jesus. But they're going to Jesus thinking that he's dead and that, that he's buried and like the practical aspect of how are we going to get in that tomb to do this thing? How often do we do that? Do we just really think about the practical and like the, the real situational things that we're going to run into rather than trusting in a God who has given us promises and if he gave us those promises, it's going to happen. We don't have to worry about the small things or in this case, the big things. It says the, the stone was very large. I love Mark. He's super helpful. He's, he's like, in case you were wondering like, why they were worried about the stone, it's because it was really big. Verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So this is, this is where we're at. Walking in unbelief, these women go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, and then they get there and they find that the stone is rolled away. And what other kindness of God do we see in this moment, particularly for these three women who are, who are disciples of Christ? We talked about that last week. Like they, are, they may not be called the twelve apostles, but they have been with Jesus. They have followed him. They're listening to his teachings. And it looks like they're getting the most out of it. It looks like it's having this, this radical transformation in their hearts where they would even go to his tomb to serve him and to love him. And how does Jesus meet them there? So he'd already moved the stone so that they have access. And then 
They enter the tomb and they see a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they are alarmed. Yeah. Stones rolled away. There's a young man alive in a white robe. Not Jesus, dead, laying there stinking. They're alarmed. That's an understatement probably. They're alarmed. And what does God do? God who sends this angel, this messenger... Right, which is what an angel is. Every angel would come and they would speak the message of God to the people of God. And that's what this angel is doing. He's coming and what message is he bringing? He knows that in their moment they're going to be alarmed. They're going to be scared. And the first words out of his mouth as a comfort to them, as an assurance to them, is do not be alarmed. You have a God who knows every anxiety and fear that you have. He knows it. He knows what you want. He knows your greatest aspirations. And He meets you in that place. He knows your fears. He sees these ladies and their fear. And the first thing that that messenger is told to say is, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. Have you ever heard the term, reading your mail? It's, it's like somebody's reading your mail. They know, they know what's going on inside your heart because they're intimate enough that they've read your mail. Like they know what kind of mail you're getting and so they know your life. So there's a, a saying that says you're reading somebody's mail. Jesus, God, is reading these ladies' mail. He knows exactly what they're doing there. He knows exactly the response they're going to have in that moment. It's going to be fear. And so he tells them, do not be alarmed. I know why you're here. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. But he's not here. It says, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Listen, what is, this, what is the message that God is bringing to these women in this moment? The message that he's bringing is that Jesus is risen. He has risen. And that should immediately begin to set off these, these uh, thoughts in their head. Oh, wait a second. He said that that was going to happen. He said that he was going to rise again. And the, the, the messenger even tells him, there you will see him just as he told you. So we have all of this going on. And I want us to look at what is being said. I love the way Luke's gospel puts it. The messenger says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? The idea that we would come without faith says that we would be looking for somebody who is dead. But if Christ has produced belief in us, if we have a, an anticipation that He is going to be faithful to His promise and walk in belief, we should look for the living among the living. It says he has risen. He is not here. But then he says, see the place where they laid him. And I think that sometimes we come and we, we say, well, Christianity is just a bunch of people who uh, just blatantly believe the, that Scripture is true and, and they just, they're fools. And listen, 
there's a degree to that to where that's true. Like Paul, you know, the, the, the Bible writes that we will look foolish to culture in the world. But we don't just come without looking. And in this moment, the, the messenger invites them to look and see where he had laid. He, he should have been there, but he's not there. He's alive. And so I, we're invited today to look. You're invited to ask questions. You're invited to say, I find this hard to believe. That, that Jesus really rose. And, and for centuries... People have argued against the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's so hard for us to believe. But listen, if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of this is for naught. Why are we gathering? What's the point? If we don't believe in a God who would come, die on a cross for our sins, and then rise again with newness of life, then we would just be left dying to our, our sins, like with a Savior who died. And, and there's plenty of religions and plenty of people, good causes, where people have gone and died for something. I think about a lot of the military that are here. Like we believed in a good cause that we would lay down our life for our country. That does not make us God. What makes Jesus God is not that he died, but that he rose again. That he flexed his muscles and said, I am the Son of God. Like that confession of the centurion while he's looking, truly, this man was the Son of God. He, doesn't, he hasn't even seen the fullness of the Son of God. What makes it different is not that Jesus died, but that he rose. And if he rose, that has implications for our life. This is Paul's message. That Jesus died and he rose again. And then he tells them to look also. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, he begins this discourse on what is uh, the, the power of the resurrection. And he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is saying, listen, I want you to look. I want you to look where he was laying, because he's not there anymore. And here's, here's some people that you could ask and that you could talk to that have seen the resurrected Christ. Many commentators believe that Mark single, singles out these women by name so that because the church in Rome would know some of them. And they could actually go and ask, is that, is that really what happened? Like, he wasn't there? And so the invitation is to ask your questions, to look, to seek. Because our God is gracious and kind and he will meet you in that place. We talked a community group two weeks ago about a pursuing God, about a God who is relentless and comes to us. As soon as we turn to Him and as soon as we begin to ask those questions, He meets us in that place. He's so kind. So I'd invite you, like if you're having a hard time with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's, that's a tough one, right? He was dead and now He's alive. We don't see that every day. We don't have places in our minds to be able to process that. So I would say come, you know, and if, if you believe Scripture, search the Scriptures. 
If you don't, there's plenty of historical evidence of, of Jesus. First off, you have four accounts that say the same thing. That's crazy. There's very few uh, accounts from antiquity about a person where there's more than two. And what we have is we have four accounts and we have a bunch of named people that have seen the resurrected Christ that didn't write in our Bibles. And so we have all of this evidence of the fact and the reality of Jesus rising from the dead. You have to believe that that's true. Otherwise, we're all just here to get better. We're, we're hoping that like a group think we'll, we'll become better people. No, that's not why we gather. We gather because Christ lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death. Like, like what Paul is talking about. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is what we're resting in. This is what our hope is in. What does the messenger say to them? He says, but go, in verse 7 of Mark 16, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The disciples and Peter, like Peter wasn't a disciple? Why do, what, how come he gets his own billing here? Uh, the beauty of it, and, and we've, we've talked about this before, Peter in his denial, like his heart is broken. He and Jesus exchange a look as he uh, denies Jesus after the rooster crows. And so there's this brokenness, but the God who is both cosmic and powerful over all of creation is very personal in the way that he relates to people. And so this messenger tells these women, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Because God knows where Peter's at in that moment. I'm not going re- to read this through really fast because we've, we've referenced it a couple times and in the Gospel of Mark you don't see this. But this idea of the risen Christ restoring Peter... Peter denied Jesus three times, but in John 21, we have this gift to us. It says, when they had finished breakfast, this is, this is Jesus risen. The resurrected Christ, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's in John 21, 15 through 19. If you want to write that down and read it later, beautiful story of reconciliation. Verse 15, said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show that by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This beautiful restoration of heartbroken Peter, denying Peter, abandoning Peter. Peter's restored not because he came to Jesus, but because Jesus comes to him. And he asks him again, do you love me? 
And then after this three times declaration, he says, now we get to do the same thing. Follow me. The, the, the thing we did before you denied me is the thing that we're going to do now because I've restored you and I've called you to me. Maybe today some of us are just, we're wayward. We're, we're, we're in our brokenness. And God would come back to us and He would say, listen, do you know that I love you? And we would say, yes. And then He would say, do you love me? And our rote answer might just be, yes, of course I love you. That's why I'm here in this room at, at church. And then he would just continue to drive to, to the heart and say, listen, do you love me? And finally it would register in us, yeah, I do love you. And he would invite us to follow him. So the angel says to the ladies, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, that you'll see him just as he told you. Just as he told you, if you go to Mark 8, if you go to Mark 9, if you go to Mark 10, Three different times Jesus had told them what the purpose of what he was doing. The beauty of it is that um, in Mark 9, 31 and 32, he says, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So they, they don't get it. But they've been given the promise multiple times. I love one of the commentators. He says, listen, Mark says that three times, and Mark is really succinct. So more than likely, Jesus said it a lot, and Mark just recorded it three times for us because that's as as much as his minimal gospel would kind of let him do it. Jesus tells him over and over, listen, this is the whole point of why I'm here. I'm establishing a kingdom that is not like you would expect. But don't worry, after I die, in three days I'm going to rise. And this messenger is telling the disciples, there you will see him just as he told you. This is a gift that we have. The reality of the resurrection, and that resurrection has implications for us today. Like if we would say that we are in Christ then not only are we in Christ in His death, but we are in Christ in His resurrection, in His life. A fullness of life. We've talked about it several times over the last weeks that that Jesus said that He came to give us life and life abundantly. Not a barely hanging on, but an abundance of life. Not a day-to-day mundane, but an abundance of life. So what does this resurrected life, this abundance of life look like? What are the implications of the resurrection? In the resurrection, because this story is not a story about us, it's a story about Jesus. In the resurrection, God declares Jesus innocent and righteous through his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ proves that that what he did in dying on the cross was not for his sin, but for our sin. And so Jesus is declared innocent and righteous by God through the resurrection. Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I appreciate the Pillar New Testament commentary from James Edwards. He says this, the crucified one says the angel has been raised. The angel invites the women to see the place where they last saw the body of Jesus. The references to the place of his burial and to Jesus as the crucified one are of crucial importance. 
The women are not directed to a mystical or spiritual experience or to a numinous encounter. They are directed specifically to Jesus, who died by a crucifixion they witnessed, was buried in a place they witnessed, and now has been resurrected. The verbs in verses in verse 6 refer to both sides of the Easter event. The announcement of the divine emissary establishes an inseparable continuity between the historical Jesus and the resurrected Jesus. The one whom the angel invites them to know is the one whom they have known. The announcement of the angel is literally the gospel, the good news, and the place from which the gospel is first preached is the empty tomb that both received and gave up the crucified one. A new order of existence is inaugurated. The NIV reads, He has risen, but the Greek is more precise. He was raised. Risen would suggest that Jesus arose on his own, but was raised rightly implies that he was resurrected by God. At this moment and in this place, the women are witnessing the kingdom of God come with power. I love that. He was raised, rightly implies that he was resurrected by God. This is the testimony of God himself, that Jesus was his son, and to prove it, he raised him from the dead. The next implication, as we move out, if that's the implication for Jesus, what are the implications for those who would follow him? He's risen, and so will we. Like, we have this promise that this life is not the end. That if you have not experienced the, the joy and the glory of knowing your God in this life, it's, we have a promise of eternal life with Him. Where all of the distractions and all of the brokenness will be no more. I love the fact that those who have a near-death experience like really value and cherish life. If you've ever talked to someone who's been, who's been in an accident or something, they begin to cherish life. If you've ever been told that you have a, a terminal illness and God heals you, you, you take advantage of the life that you have. You, you really appreciate it and enjoy it. Well, we don't have a near-death experience as believers. We have a death experience. Like Ephesians 2, which is one of Matt's favorite verses, but, but Ephesians 2 says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's not you were almost dead. You were dead. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead. We have been brought to life again with Jesus. Romans 4, 24 and 25 says it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Everything that we believe about the gospel is founded in the death and resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not based on you. It's not based on your ability to follow. It's not based on your ability to obey the Ten Commandments. It is based on you trusting and believing that Jesus is yours, both in his death and in his life. Jesus' resurrection is the assurance of judgment for all mankind and salvation who put their trust in him. Listen, if we're not in Christ, there's a judgment that's coming. 
We've got to hear that. We can't, we can't not speak that to each other. Because that's a reality that, that Scripture points to, is that, that there is a holy God and He does judge. But if we are in Christ, then His judgment is not on our merit, but it's, His judgment is based on Christ's merit, on what Christ has done. But to tell, us, to tell other people that would not believe that everything is going to be okay would not be loving. It would be a lie. Because if, if they don't trust Jesus for their salvation, they're not going to be okay. Scripture says that they will be judged and they will be found wanting. But for those who are in Christ, we have Christ's righteousness on our behalf. I mean, Paul talks about this in his preaching to the church in Athens. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This Jesus that died, that rose again, is also the Jesus that will judge. And he will execute his perfect, righteous judgment. So today, what, what are we left with in that moment? Today, maybe some of us have been plodding along like the women, just doing the things that we're supposed to do without belief. They're going to the tomb to do this good thing, to anoint the body with spices and with ointments. But the reality is that they're walking in unbelief. And so today, it's, it, there's, there's some of us in here who are walking because we feel like this is the good thing that we're supposed to do, but we're walking in unbelief. And, and I'm, I'm the first one. Like, I come in here thinking that I need to do things, that I need to make things happen, and I'm not believing that the powerful God who was dead and is now alive is the one who is doing all of this. And so in that moment, we have to repent. We have to say, God, I've, I've walked in unbelief. Will you show me again who you are real clear? Stir my heart to belief. God, will you... By the power of your spirit that's working in my life, that's giving me a, a new way of thinking and transforming my mind and my heart, would you give me belief and faith and trust? And so we need to repent of our unbelief. Maybe today some of you are here and you've just been walking in blatant unbelief. It's just been a rejection of a holy God. I'll tell you that you're in a good place because God's, God's present as we gather as the church. And I would just encourage you, like, in your unbelief, will you ask some questions? Will you look? Will you look at where Jesus was laid? Will you look at the reality of the, 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 the death and resurrection of Christ? Because I, He's so powerful, He's so wise, so loving, He'll meet you in that place. And He'll take a hard heart, and He'll change it into a soft heart. How do I know? Because He did it with me. Because he's done it with so many of us. And we have this evidence of a God who is powerful and working. He's a God that takes hard hearts and makes them soft hearts. So we have to repent of our blatant unbelief. And we have to repent of our functional unbelief. Where we've walked in these things without any belief. And as we repent, we come to Jesus and we see that he's powerful and strong. That he's not dead. He's alive. That he's, he has risen. He's been raised up by God. And today, you and I have life 
And we have the Spirit of God that's been given to us to dwell inside of us, to walk in the righteousness that Christ walked in. Today, the invitation is to believe that Jesus has risen and to walk in the newness of life that He's given you. To no longer just plod along in unbelief, but to believe that, that God is powerful and mighty to save. And then look at your life. Look at the way that God has moved and brought you to this place today because He's faithful and kind. Look at what He does with these disciples. We, unfortunately, Mark ends shortly. And he's going to point and he's going to talk about the Great Commission, but you have to go to the book of Acts to see what kind of life was put into these disciples who betrayed and left Jesus. They lived a life that went to all the world, all the known world, preaching the gospel at no matter the cost. Many of them were martyred. Many of them, all of them were persecuted. Many of them died for the sake of the name and the glory of Christ. That's what life and life abundantly looks like. That's what a, a risen Lord living in you and me looks like. And so today we get to believe that that's true and we get to walk in that. It's going to affect every relationship, every area of your life. It, it demands some intentionality and we talk about that a lot at community group. The idea of how can we be so intentional with our whole lives. Like if that's the case that, that God is alive and that he's risen, then he wants every word of mine. Yeah. But he's, he doesn't leave you alone to figure it out. He puts his spirit in you. And now your words are his words. Your heart is his heart. And we get to walk in those things today. So today the, the, the call is the same. Repent and believe. Believe that he's risen Amen? Amen. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are doing a new thing today. Lord, I just thank you that today you've stirred my heart to belief. God, I thank you that you are gracious and kind. I thank you for your love for these three women in the passage and that you would meet them in their fear, God, and you would be present with them. I thank you that you would point their doubt to the truth of the risen Jesus. That you would invite us to look and say, He's not there. He's not in the grave. He's risen. Just like you told us. God, would you do a miracle and help us to believe the words that you say? Because, Lord, as we believe those things, it changes everything about us. It changes how we look at you. It changes how we treat others. Lord, it, it would stir in us a worship that is with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it would cause us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So Lord, give us the gift of belief that your death was sufficient. But that the grave could not hold you, that, that you rose again. Lord, may we continue to walk in this daily. May we remember the joy of our salvation. May we remember the joy of your resurrection. May we look and see the power of it as you flex your muscles, God. 
We thank you that today we have the opportunity to celebrate moving from death to life. We love you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.